Hey everybody, this is Sean Harwell. You're listening to the Never Heard of It podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about movies that have fallen through our cracks, your cracks, everybody's cracks, all around the world. And I'm joined as always today by my co-host, Craig Darling Moorhead. Craig, chit-chat with the people for a second, will you? I sure will. You know, hey everybody, this is Craig. How's everybody doing? I hope you're doing well. It's podcast again. You're listening to the podcast. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to get in touch with us, you can. Uh, you can find us online. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, you can find us at our website, neverheardpodcast.com, where you can find all of our episodes and even write-ups on a lot of the big episodes. And you can find us on Twitter sometimes. You can find us on Instagram. So, uh, you know, talk to us anywhere, anywhere at all, and we'll probably respond. It was a really good chat. It was like a fireside chat. Yeah, that's what I like to do. Awesome. How are you, Craig? I'm doing good, Sean. I'm doing just fine. How are you doing? I'm doing fine as well. Good. Getting excited here. It feels like Halloween is going to happen. And speaking of, I don't think we have an episode coming out that day just because of the way the calendar works. So enjoy uh, trick-or-treating instead. You know, being with your family, that kind of stuff. Yeah. You can do it's that. Good time. You can do it for one day. Totally. We'll be back in November, obviously, and that'll be a good old time. You could go see the new Halloween movie if you wanted to. There's lots of things you could mm -hmm. do. But, uh, Craig, mm. there is a new Buster Keaton documentary out. It was made by none other than Peter Bogdanovich. It's called The Great Buster, A Celebration. I saw the trailer today. Mm -hmm. It showed a clip briefly from college, the movie that we talked about. Do you want to guess which clip it was not? <laughs> <laughs> it was not the shot put clip <laughs> it wasn't you're right it was not and it, all and right it also wasn't uh buster and blackface so i'm curious i i glanced at the new york times review to see if uh old bagdanovich went down that country road it didn't mention anything about it so i don't know it might be a might be a happier time at the movies watching that one but uh they got interviews with mel brooks and johnny knoxville and uh Werner herzog so all kinds of people in there uh, tarantino <whistles> look for that i, I think i'm gonna I'm going to try to check that out at some point. That sounds pretty interesting. Doesn't it? Yeah. And pretty racist. Oh, yeah. I'm, in I'm interested to see <laughs> if anyone touches on that at all. Well, speaking of touching, we are going to touch mm. the 1965 drama, melodrama, romance. Uh, I don't even romance. Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, we'll get into that. Uh, the movie Darling from John Schlesinger, as we teed up mm. last week, uh, written by Frederick Raphael of Eyes Wide Shut fame. And starring Julie Christie, Dirk Bogard, Lawrence Harvey, and others. But I have to ask you, Craig, what in God's name else have you watched since the last time we talked? Well, Sean, I'll tell you. It being October, I feel like I should watch scary movies. Yeah. Uh -huh. I, I feel like I don't watch a lot of the new horror stuff. Oh, yeah? Snob. And uh, if you're not familiar with it, there's a gentleman by the name of James Wan... And there are several other people involved, but uh, he's very involved with this, what they call the Conjuring universe. Oh, okay. Or the Conjureverse, right? <laughs> Do they really they call it the Conjureverse? <laughs> it's, it's called that in some circles online. That's worse than Costober, I think, so. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah, so you're safe. Yeah. So the Conjureverse, so it's, it's Conjuring and Conjuring 2 and Annabelle and the Nun and yeah. there are all these things that don't really advertise themselves as being a part of the same thing. But like if you know, then you know, you know, gotcha. 
that by itself I find really interesting. Like I'm kind of like that's it pretty is. cool. Yeah. So I sat down, I watched The Conjuring, and what can I say about it? So here's the deal: <laughs> really good, really good casting. Okay. So many people in this cast that I absolutely love. Lily Taylor. Uh, you got that guy from uh, <laughs> Band of Brothers. I guess I could just look it up. The guy from what? I, I said Band of Brothers. Oh, oh that narrows it down. Reason, yeah. It's really so. Ron Livingston. You've got yeah. you've got Patrick Wilson. You've got Vera Farmiga, who I love. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing: this movie did really good business. Good for them. It's basically a mashup of Poltergeist and The Exorcist. Which, hey, great. Yeah. I have no problem with that either. You could pick two worse movies to mash up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, and I mean, mean, for me, like, that's that's right up my alley. It's a fun ride and everything, but the thing is, and I I always got this sense from a lot of trailers and stuff that I watched, and it was another movie that kind of made me feel this way too, is like, there are so many jump scares with, like, no context and no bearing on what's happening. Yeah. It, it, it feels very much like a Roger Corman type of thing where it's like, <laughs> hey, it's been 10 minutes. Put a ghost over the corner and have him wait there silently and then just have him jump out. Yeah, make it look extra And it's fine. It doesn't matter if anything happens. Just It has to be a scary thing. Mm-hmm. And like by the end of the movie, you're just kind of tired. You're just like, just let's just let this be o- over. <laughs> and, and like there's some really clever sequences in it mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like there's one where uh, Vera Farmiga is, is like, for some reason, she's folding sheets. I think she's, she's just like helping out the family or whatever. Anyway, these sheets are outside drying and she's taking sheets off the line and folding them. And then one sheet flies off and like it looks like it wraps around a, a body shape. And then the sheet picks up and flies up to one of the windows on the second floor. And when the sheet flies away in the wind, you see like the ghost in there and she like walks away or something. And it was like, it was a cool moment. Yeah. But I have no idea why it needed to happen that way or or why it would or why the ghost would present itself that way. Or You know what's most scary about this situation is that it sounds like that's a pretty strong wind. I mean, that might be like tornadoes. Maybe. Climate change is the real, is the real ghost here. Is it is the real about. horror. <laughs> right. I don't know. I'm, 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 I plan to watch every one of these that I can. You're still in the controversy. Okay, yeah. Absolutely. And, and there's, there's a, a trailer just came out today for something called The Curse of La, La, uh, La Llorona. Sure. La Llorona. Sure. And it uh, stars uh, Linda Cardellini. I like her. From Freaks and Geeks yeah. and many things. She's awesome. But the whole trailer, Sean, is jump scares. And yeah. I can't tell what it's supposed to be. And I'm just like, Ugh. It drives me a little crazy. I'm a um, I'm a sucker for jump scares. I mean, they work on me for sure. Right. But I get. But do you exhaust- enjoy jump scares? I, it, I, it depends. Right. Yeah, it really depends on uh, what mm-hmm. happens before and after those scares in those moments. I think I still have to be Agreed. invested in the story. Yeah, I, I, I definitely I'm not against jump scares. Mm-hmm. I think they can be really important. Like you should be a little bit scared, jump scared at some point. But yeah. anyway, um, thank you for listening to me. What did you uh, watch <laughs> this week, Sean? I knocked out three things, two of which I I'd wanted to get to recently, and then one just randomly watched uh, The Remains of the Day for the first time, the Merchant Ivory movie from 1993. Oh, yeah. Anthony Hopkins, Emma Thompson. I loved that movie. I thought it was fantastic. Nice. So good. I don't know if it's just because 
I'm uh, above the age of 40 now, but like these movies absolutely work on me and I, I love them so much. Yeah. Gosh, there's a scene in that movie that I feel like you could just spend an entire four years as an actor in college studying and still yeah. be amazed by. I noticed watching this, however, that there is a young Cersei Lannister in this movie, which surprised me, Lena Headey. Oh, really? Yeah, it looks, yeah. looks very different there and um, has a little fling with one Ben Chaplin of the Thin Red Line, <laughs> who I haven't seen in a ton of stuff uh, yeah. outside of that. Very much enjoyed it. I also finally watched the Train Spotting sequel, Craig. Oh, how was that? Well, I'm not going to call it T2 Train Spotting because that is uh, terrible. <laughs> well, and that's that's Terminator 2 anyway. Yeah, but go ahead. I don't know if it's controversial bad, but it might be. I was disappointed, man. I got to say, uh, and yeah. it I'm looking at it right now. It's got a 7.2 on IMDb, 67 Metascore from review. So it seems like people genuinely and generally kind of liked it. It just did not right. click for me, and so much of it, I think, was because of the Renton character and just his presence in this was not... I don't know. Like It just didn't anchor the thing the way it did in the first one, and I know it's not completely fair to compare the two. However, sure, there are more than a few clips and moments of the original spli- literally spliced into this movie, so... I, I think in that sense, it is completely fair to compare. And it, this movie just does not have the same vitality. So I don't know if you're out there and you've seen That's it and you disagree with me and I, I and I missed it fundamentally what this movie is about. The first one is about addiction. It's pretty simple, right? And this one it right. is not. Like uh, I, I don't know what it was about. So I would love to know what you thought. Also, the book sequel was called Porno. And from what I gather, there was a whole plot of that novel that did not transpose uh its way to the movie so i'm I'm curious about that as well maybe i'll check out the book at some time and then lastly craig i watched the legacy of a white-tailed deer hunter the latest film from our friend jody hill and you got danny bride you got josh brolin danny jody and john kachiri wrote screenplay and shot it in nashville it's a sweet movie it is an extremely small movie and yeah. if you go in watching this thing expecting any like shade of observe and report in here, it's just not here. Like it's not that movie. That's interesting. Yeah, and it was really interesting. And I I think it's hard not to look at it and sort of expect those things. But it's it's really not. I'm trying to let me see here. Question whether or not it even would need to be rated R. I don't even see where the rating is. But anyway, it was really pretty sweet. And there's definitely some good laughs in there. But I don't know. It was, I was just surprised by kind of how small and, and different it was. And also watching it, thinking about, man, if if you have a movie that's set predominantly in woods, like unless it involves a war, you know? Yeah. It's hard. To, like, how do you not make that feel kind of small? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, because yeah. you're, what you're looking at is really just, yeah, like trees, you know, and people like a few people walking through it. Now, there's some really nice landscape shots, and they, they use the, the mountains in this area, the Blue Ridge Mountains. they got some beautiful shots. Um, so it, it has some scope to it. But, yeah, I was just thinking about it. I was like watching it. I was like, man, yeah, like I'm trying to think of a movie that's like set in the woods. <laughs> it feels large, and I don't know. 
I'm, I'm yeah, coming off a blank. That's interesting. Check it out. It's on Netflix. Yeah, out. I think it's it's definitely worth looking at, and uh, I think there's a lot to like there. But I think you got to know that yeah, it is a different, very different movie for Jody and those guys. So kudos to them for for doing something different. Heck yeah, Craig, Sean. Let's talk about Darling. That's a great idea. It should be so easy to be happy, shouldn't it? It should be the easiest thing in the world. I wonder why it isn't. Two people really belong to each other. Doesn't matter what happens. What did you think of Miles? Absolutely crazy about him. Don't be jealous, there's no need. You know as well as I do what you're up to. I knew you'd get the wrong end of the Your stick. idea of fidelity is not having more than one man in the bed at the same time. You've got no right to call me anything. I have every right to call you everything. Oh, this is going to be fun. Darling, IMDb tells us, is a movie about a beautiful but amoral model who sleeps her way to the top of the London fashion scene at the height of the swinging 60s. I didn't know much about this movie going into it before we did the tee-up. I knew that it had won an Oscar for Best Costume Design, found out that Julie Christie won the Oscar for her role as Diana Scott here in her performance. John Schlesinger, I think we know a little bit, obviously, from his various films. It's black and white, streaming on Filmstruck, two hours, eight minutes, 1965. Craig, what did you think? Man, I was really pleasantly surprised. Going in, I was pretty excited to watch it anyway. I did not read that, or at least did not have in mind that synopsis. So kind of watching that develop and realizing who our main character was and what she was about was really interesting. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it really kicks off with some interesting ideas. I mean, right from the very beginning, you get a very good idea during the credits, like what kind of movie you're in for. So I I enjoyed it a lot. What did you think, Sean? I'm going to disagree with you. I did not enjoy the experience of watching this movie. And we'll get into why. And there's, there's various reasons, I think. But I absolutely think it is interesting and it is unconventional she's like a whopper of an anti-hero in this movie. I mean, and that was the biggest thing for me. It was just like, I mean, I kind of came away from this. At one point, I was like, Jesus Christ, am I like this much of a prude? But if this is what the swinging 60s were, I'm glad I missed it because there is a lot of misery to go around. And I do not like these people at all. Yeah. I mean, that was the biggest thing for me. I mean, it was kind of hard to watch. Well, not hard. Just, yeah, like the joy factor, like the simple joy factor as a movie experience, like watching this woman go through her life and just move from one bad situation to another, I guess. Even yeah. saying bad is is maybe a wrong descriptor. We'll have to get in that a little bit. Just there's some dissatisfaction about her in her own life that she never quite puts her finger on that I can't put my finger on about the, the source of it necessarily. And so mm-hmm. I think the end result was just me feeling, bearing the weight of her unhappiness upon me, I guess. And sure. yeah, that makes for an interesting experience. And I'm like, I, I found myself thinking, man, she is quite good in this role, Julie Christie. And I'm kind of impressed by the fact that, what did we say? I think Sound of Music won the best picture this year, right? Right. 
oh my god like this role is so it is so far removed from anything remotely like the world of sound and music that i i am somewhat impressed by the fact that they honored this role with an oscar like that's kind of amazing to me that's true totally some stuff that breaks conventions for what we would expect for a female lead at the time i think for sure but man end result yeah, I, I found myself wishing it would end a half hour earlier, not because I was bored, just because it, it yeah, it was like it was just kind of hard to watch her go through all this and not feel unhappy myself. Yeah. My big takeaway was if only she could learn to be okay with being bored, right? <laughs> and I especially was like thinking about that as a parent, you know, it's like, wow, you, you always think about, you know, kids always say, I'm bored, you know. It's like, well, good. Like, you, you like, Learn at an early age that you're going to be bored in life, and that's okay, and you got to learn to deal with it, or else you end up like darling Diana Scott, okay? This is what is going to happen to you, right? Yeah. That was what I felt. I was like, well, I'm glad that I don't mind being bored sometimes. Fair enough. I couldn't have been happy if I'd kept Robert from his children. I was absolutely insistent, rain or shine, he went and saw them. I couldn't have forgiven myself if he hadn't done that, you see? I've never really been the jealous type. Where the hell have you been? I do want to talk about the opening a little bit, and we'll just kind of ease into sort of the setup of this movie. I did love the title sequence of this movie, Craig, and just the simple, soothing experience of watching someone put up a billboard, you know, and putting those pieces over top, another one with glue and a broom. And uh, I like how they shot all that, and we sort of get the puzzle pieces of what eventually turns out to be Julie Christie's face. And this is another thing, too, is like the movie doesn't really ever explicitly hold your hand and tell you what exactly she does for a living, like where she's at career-wise, status-wise, right? who exactly the Dirk Bogard character is. You kind of got to piece some of that together. She is a, a, a fashion model. Yes. She's had some success. She's of some prominence enough that there is an arts and entertainment show very... PBS style, I guess, that is doing a segment on her. And we sort of begin the movie with her narration about her own life while she's watching clips from this program, I think, at the studio when they're showing her the finished product. I I think. I mean, I was trying, I did get a little confused. I was like, wait a second, because she's like seeing video of herself as a child. I thought, oh, this is just like a novelistic thing. You know, it's like, okay, like, this is just straight VO, right? You know, what's interesting is I was thinking that at the beginning, she's giving an interview as the princess. For some reason, because I thought the billboard was like my story, the ideal woman or whatever. I thought she was the princess at that oh, point. I mean, maybe she was. The conclusion of that sequence, if I'm not mistaken, is... She says something about, well, thank you for letting me watch the finished product. And she leaves with Robert Gold. She does. But yeah, I guess what I was thinking was that we skip back to her as a kid. We kind of see her grow up. And then and then I was thinking that she, you know what? I actually thought it was because she starts getting interviewed by the guy at the, at airport, the airport on the way to the plane at the end. Okay. There's that guy asking her all these questions about mm-hmm. it. And for some reason, I was like thinking that that was kind of the deal. But um, only John Schlesinger knows for sure. Well, it's funny, too, because like we had that quote uh, from Julie Christie, well, where she was talking about the production of this movie and like feeling like she didn't know whether she was coming and going because they were jumping around so much. And 
I mean, the plot of this movie is fairly simple, but I do feel like there's a lot of it. Like there are, you yeah. know, at least what four guys I think that kind of have a major impact in her life, and we'll get to all these men. But um, there is a lot of hopping around, and again, just like some of that like baseline info, I think was hard to suss out a bit. And yeah. clearly, because we we weren't even sure what was going on in the first five minutes here of this movie. <laughs> but it does, after this sequence, kind of pick up in the very early throes of uh, her relationship, Diana's, with this character, Robert Gold. And it starts off very simple. She even says there's not, there was nothing deliberate about it. We didn't know what we were doing at all. Um, and uh, it's kind of charming. There was a moment where they're in a car where he gives her a piece of candy and then he just dumps the whole bag on her, like on her lap, which right. I guess that, that was, she found that cute. I don't, I don't know. It's just like, well, that's kind of a weird gesture. They also have these conversations where I wrote down one of them. They're just, you know, they're just kind of hanging out by the river, right? Just walking around town, taking in sights. Mm -hmm. And she says, what do you want to do then? He says, I don't know. I do know. I don't know. And she says, I know. And like... I was like, well, I mean, even like I just, I, that took me what, two seconds to recite it. Yeah. They play that out for like at least like 20, 25 seconds, right? <laughs> it lasts twice as long. Yeah. But you can read between the lines. Like, I mean, that's basically them saying and acknowledging the fact that they're physically attracted to one another, but they haven't taken that step yet towards intimacy. And right. we find out why, because why, Craig? Well, because they're both married. Ding, 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 ding. So that makes everything kind of super ugly. Because like the way you the way you meet them, the way you see them, it's like it's like you're watching a meet cute. You're seeing two single people who just really respond to each other and they're just totally like there's no hesitation. Right. But then when you find out they're both married, you're kinda like, damn, like you kinda really jumped into that quick. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, he is uh, he is married with children. She is married to another man who's what was his name? Timothy or something like that. I doesn't T Tony. Tony. Okay. That was kind of interesting too because you know, here she is she, obviously a very beautiful woman. She's made a career off of her appearance. She's hobnobbing around with a guy who works for a television show, very sort of hoity-toity in the art world show. And you find out her husband, I don't know if he's technically younger than she is, although he kind of seems that way, but she's, he's definitely more immature than she is. Like, that's the way it's sort of positioned. Like, mm -hmm. she says in voiceover that marriage had kind of been foisted on him. He tried nobly, but he hadn't the faintest idea of what it's about. Which, isn't that ironic, Craig? <laughs> she would say it that. It is. Yeah? Well, and it's, and it's, it's, such, it's such a perfect stance for her character mm -hmm. at that point it's early in the movie and maybe you're still kind of thinking well like she's coming from a rational place and like so when i look at him and what he's doing like yeah he really doesn't know he wasn't ready for it or something mm -hmm. but the further we go along you kind of start to think your narrator is not very reliable <laughs> exactly and i do again acknowledge that this is uh, this is a reversal of what we probably see most from this era or most in general from movies is like you know if there's an unhappy marriage 
it's the man's fault. And it's the man's fault because he's an asshole or he's sleeping around yeah. or he's, you know, unable to connect and not intimate or not open. And here she's just kind of like, oh, he was a sweetheart, but he, he was just too immature, you know. And, uh, yeah, you're right. Like, it absolutely is a big clue about what's to come. And so it is not long after this where we see her and Robert on a train. Mm -hmm. She's sitting across from him. He starts to doze off. She then moves over beside him. And (laughs) she, like, traces her finger down his nose while his eyes are closed. It it was, like, the most non-intimate thing, like... (laughs) classic seduction move bro it was definitely not seductive but the the fingers end up in the mouth and then they they kiss and uh (laughs) right after that she they both they both do the deed they call their respective spouses and lie about not being able to come home and and they're having such fun oh my god especially her i wrote positively giddy like those were the words yeah and yeah, they spend some time at the hotel. We quickly, you know, get to the point where Diana and Robert are moving in together. She expresses regret and remorse over the fact that she's breaking up Robert's family and that was, you know, that's positively repellent to her, the idea of it. But they're doing it anyway, right? Yeah, and and I think that's an interesting thing about her. Mm-hmm. She is throughout the thing in in voiceover, I guess the voiceover is the interview. She really likes to present herself with her words. Yes. Talk about what kind of person she is and what she believes in and all that stuff. But like all of her actions just seem to completely contradict. Yeah, her. she sort of projects a morality from what she says. But, oh, man, yeah. I don't know. Like what what you should, how you should feel probably. And like, yeah. I, I feel like a big thing for her is like she wants to appear mature and that she's an adult and that she thinks about serious things and so on. Yeah. Do we skip over the bit where he's interviewing the author? Did we, do uh, we haven't done that yet, but I, I, I think we could. Well, because that one, that one to me was really funny and super telling. Yeah. like he takes her with him to interview this author, old fella who has written a lot of good books, I guess. And like he's interviewing that he's super interested in interviewing this guy, and he's doing this great interview. And and then we see her sitting across the room in a chair, clearly bored out of her mind, yep. like completely bored. And then her her voiceover kicks in where she's talking about, oh, and we went and met this amazing author and the thing, like she said something like the the things he said, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then she points out that she didn't really pay attention to the actual things he said, but it was just really cool to hear him talking because he was smart, you know, like, yeah. And so you're just kind of like, wait a second, you know. Like this, she's not going to last. Right. And she mentions at some point, like she explicitly says, they accepted me. Yes. That's huge. I wrote, I was like, is that like a class thing necessarily? Because we don't, we don't know her backstory. Like we don't know who the hell she was prior to becoming a model or how that even happened. And we never find that out. Uh, And that's one of my bones to pick with it. But I kind of feel like it's, I I, I still kind of feel like it's the adult. Yeah. Like I feel like. She's such a kid. I feel like the first time we see her as an, as an adult, as a grown up, the way she's like walking down the street, and like swinging her bag, like she's like nine years yeah. old. I mean, it's a maturity thing I don't know, for like sure, I, right? I feel like it is. I feel like she's just she wants to be accepted by people that she knows must be smart yeah. and mature, and that that's what means a lot to her. So right. yeah, that definitely plays out further on. But um, them moving in together and all that stuff. I mean, this is like yeah, this is first. 
15, 20 minutes of this movie. Like, it does happen quickly. I liked we get a little passage of time sequence that's played out visually by mm-hmm. them putting up uh, photos and, and greeting cards on their mirror, just like, you know, the mirror above the mantle and, like, those sort of transition into being Christmas cards. And, like, that moves us on a couple months. They're th- they throw a party for people. And, you know, because it's a party... And because she's who she is, actually, I don't even remember if this was at the party, but there was one point where she comes in and says, oh, two of the most gorgeous Negroes you've ever seen have just gone up the (laughs) stairs. And I, you know, you got to be kidding me. Like, again with this? Like, again, what are we doing with these movies? And I don't know, by the end of it, and I might as well go ahead and talk about it here. Is that the movie being ignorant or is that just literally like an expression of like, yeah, of course, that's what she's going to say. Nobody else in the movie really talks about it that way because, again, because she's immature, because she's from a different class, she's not the elite. I don't right. know. Do you, do you have any thoughts on, on that particular line one way or another? It's a really good point. I mean, I definitely took it as, even then, that's really not something a intelligent adult would say to someone. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like by the end of this movie, like th- there is no doubt that Schlesinger is putting mm. forth progressive ideas in this movie. I mean, yeah. bar none. And I mean, very casually, too. This is part of her character, and it's it's actually really kind of a smart thing they're doing. And again, it makes me uncomfortable watching it because she's doing it so well. Yeah. You know, anyway, my next note is one where Robert was out. She says something about, I've never really been the jealous type, demands that he spends time with his children. Yeah. And then, like, the very next scene, he walks in. Where the hell have you been? Did you see her? Yeah. And she's jealous of the ex-wife. And he's mm-hmm. finally is just like, look, why don't we just get married? And she's like, well, if we got married, there'd be so much bitterness and unhappiness. Man, that's, that's kind of fascinating, too, because, A, she's already been married, and, B, like, again, this is, yeah, you're right in the thick of the 60s here. That is an unconventional stance for a woman to take on marriage in a movie, I think. Again, yeah. same year as Sound of Music, you got Julie Christie saying, if we get married, there'd be so much bitterness and unhappiness. It was interesting. And then, of course, she's going to get married again in this movie. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't remember if it was in that moment at the end of that scene, but he's like nuzzled up against her and he cops a feel. She looks horrified in the mirror. Do you remember that moment? He nuzzles up and cops a feel. I don't remember that. They're in the they're in their apartment. Yeah, I don't blame you for not remembering it because it feels like part and parcel of a lot of moments in this movie. But I found myself like, God, that's a weird reaction because they did like they seemed really happy in this moment, and it wasn't like he was just randomly copying a feel that was you know would be completely unwelcome yeah but her face told a different story and i think that's something that is a through line throughout this thing is that i don't know how much joy she's getting out of any sort of physical intimacy with anybody you know it does make me wonder i don't know the way the way the movie presents her i wouldn't necessarily think that she was completely inexperienced no definitely but it does make me wonder you know, maybe she is not terribly experienced. I don't know. I mean, by the end know. of it, my my sort of thing was just like, there is a hole inside of her. There is something mm-hmm. uh, incomplete. I mean, she, I think, even uses that word. Like, I wish I could just feel complete. Um, and she yeah. talks about happiness and like, why? She, like, shouldn't it be easy to be happy? 
Like that should be the easiest thing in the world. She says that literally at one point. And obviously it's not like, it's just, it isn't for anybody, but especially for this character. And I, I just like between that little moment, which it only really stood out to me because I thought it was weird. But then later on it was just like, Oh, like this, yeah, this is kind of playing out a little bit here where there's just some sort of general unhappiness with herself Mm-hmm. That is not being fulfilled by others, clearly, you know? Yeah. And maybe will never be fulfilled by others, even though she's she sure as hell is putting that theory to the test by constantly well, being with others. And that's interesting, too, though. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe the reason that Schlesinger doesn't kind of give us the root of that problem is kind of just put to put us in more in her shoes, you know, where it's just like... You can't put your finger on it. Like, like, why is it that, like, you know, you can only be with somebody for two months before you're just looking around for somebody else? Yeah. No matter how happy you are, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have any way of gauging what that problem is. I mean, I don't know. I was going to ask you, like, you know, if you if you had any sort of insight on what that emptiness, like what might be the cause of that, but... Yeah, it sounds like maybe maybe you don't, and maybe we're not supposed to, and maybe that's maybe that's okay. I don't know. Well, I mean, I would assume it was a parental thing. Yeah. And some somewhere along the line, she desperately needed approval from her parents, her dad, or her mom, who was someone who was highly intelligent. And so for the rest of her life, that's what she's looking for. She's looking for people that she thinks are cool or intelligent or mm-hmm. are better than her. She needs she has to be accepted by them. And then once she is, then she gets fearful that she'll lose it. And then at some point she's like, I need more. I need new acceptance. You know what I mean? Right. But I don't, I mean, I certainly never felt that way. Well, I don't really have any insight into it, Sean. I don't know why you'd ask me. Well, because you're Craig Moorhead, armchair mm. psychiatrist. <laughs> if you want to hire Craig, just uh, send me an email and I'll, I'll check his calendar for you. Uh, that was pretty good. I, I liked it. I mean, I think that, you know, hey, yeah. that's probably a, an emotional type that exists and could very well be applied to this character. I think you might be onto something there. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, let's talk a little bit about the other man that then kind of enters the picture, Miles Brand, played by Lawrence Harvey. And I think we mm-hmm. first meet him at a party that appears to be a charity auction. Once again, of course, you got a movie here and there's a party and the only black people in this movie, well, that's not true exactly, but there are black boys at this party who have been hired Mm -hmm. to basically hand out appetizers in their doors, it appears, and they're dressed in Victorian clothing and white powdered wigs. Mm Mm-hmm. How are you feeling in that moment? I think this was much like, oh, we, we didn't really get into it in the credits. I meant to get into this in the credits. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, this this billboard that's being put up in the credits, it's covering a billboard that was something about world hunger. And it has a couple of images yeah. of some, I believe, some black children on the billboard. And they're being covered up by the beautiful white model who's telling her story of being the ideal woman. Yeah. You know, so when it's all over, like all that world hunger, all that substance, all that stuff that needs to be dealt with has been completely covered over by our smiling heroine. Right. And man, I don't have notes for that particular scene, but I remember there being something very pointed where they were talking about, but they were talking about something and you could see, you could see all these little black kids in the background while they're saying this stuff. And it's just like, 
Oh, well, there was the character, this guy who's very somewhat flamboyant, but he's, he says, like, this character, Miles, he's this sort of, like, slick, sleek. He's mm-hmm. almost like the John Hamm madman guy in this movie, right? right? A little bit. Like, he's got that kind of vibe. But a little more quippy. Definitely like way more, more quippy. Yeah. And so he and Diana go up this flight of stairs, and there's a, you know a whole bunch of other like snooty people up there. And one of them's like, "I like your black boys, John. Suppose I can't wrap one up and take it home." There you go. I think there's there's still the argument to be made that okay, well yeah, even if Schlesinger is like acknowledging like no, this is this is awful, and this is totally what this crowd did. And for all their sort of hoity-toityness, there's still like this huge gap between them and anything approaching an actual like lifestyle of a minority and like what they have to go through. And the fact that there's still not really much of a minority presence at all in this movie. Right. There is one other character who kind of treated as an equal at a party and mm-hmm. that party's weird as hell and we'll get to that too. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. It, it is, it's interesting to, to watch this stuff from uh, from our vantage point now and, and try to wrap our heads around it a little bit. But anyway. Indeed. Curiously, Robert is nowhere in this charity auction scene here. Diana ends up spending quite a bit of time with the Miles character. She gets to see his office at one point, really wants to go into the, the safe for some reason and see some important papers. Mm-hmm. Not quite sure why she was so hot to try it about that. But I believe it is Miles that introduces her to a film director who was also at this at this charity auction. Director, producer, somebody. At any rate, she ends up starring briefly for about 10 minutes of the movie <laughs> uh, as a character in sort of like a B-schlock movie called Jacqueline. And uh, she gets <laughs> yeah. killed in the opening. They go to the premiere and watch it. And uh, you can tell Robert is is not really amused by anything in the movie. No. That was kind of interesting, too, because that was another example where it kind of felt like she's sort of like over-apologizing for the movie. And it's like, oh, of course, it's like silly. And and yeah. yet I got the sense is like if you walked up to her and was like, oh, my God, I loved you and Jacqueline. She's like, oh, my, thank you so much. You know, I really, yeah. you know, she'd be like that, you know. Absolutely. But, yeah, she doesn't want to lose her acceptance from Robert. Right. Like she knows Robert's not going to look down on that. She yeah. knows he's going to look down on that. Sure, because it's terrible. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's right after that where she announces she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. And uh, she quickly comes to the uh, conclusion that, quote, it would be the ruination of her career, and she couldn't mm-hmm. just couldn't go through with it. And cut to the abortion clinic, and, you know, the day after, and uh, the nurse comes in, asks her how she feels, and she says, I don't want anything to do with sex again as long as I live. Yep. Also a telling line a little bit, just made me think, you know, a little bit later on, like, again, as part of this thing with intimacy without love, I guess, um, perhaps, Mm -hmm. that that she's got going on in her life. Do you think the pregnancy is sort of the point where the pendulum swings the other way on the relationship for her and Robert, or did it happen prior to that? I don't know. I mean, she seems, yeah, I I don't know, because I I, I agree with with what you're saying about you know, if people really was were excited about her movie, her being in that movie, then she would have really fed on that. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like having a kid really makes you a grown up. I know. I thought that's so, what I thought that for a second that that's probably what was going to happen. You know, or right. You know, that would be the stress that ruined their relationship. But still, she would she would grow up. She would be a mom, a single mom, or whatever, and move on with her life. But no, no. Yeah. So that's, it's interesting, yeah, that that is how everything plays out. 
Well, and to be fair, when she tells Robert, his initial reaction is, oh, that's what he says. Yeah. He does not look super happy. He doesn't look super happy. He does say he's pleased. And I do feel like maybe of the two, maybe he'd be the, the one to, you know, well, he's already got kids. So I, maybe it wouldn't change a damn thing <laughs> in his life or, well, or at least it, in the relationship. So I don't know. Yeah, it makes it makes me wonder what he if he kind of feels like his relationship with her, like he's not 100 percent sure she's sticking around. Yeah. Like she's kind of got a weird energy and, and I'm sure he thinks about that and realizes that. And so I kind of feel like he would be sort of excited that she's pregnant, but he's kind of like, I mean, what does this mean now? Like she's exactly. going to be a mother. Yeah. I, I mean, that's know. a good point. He probably saw a lot of this happening before it did. Yeah. After this, she's home. She's in the flat. He's trying to work. He's writing. She's just bored out of her mind. She's puttering around the flat. Like she just can't sit still. That was where I was like, oh, maybe this has something. Like, this is somewhat at the heart of this thing. Like, she just can't stand being bored with herself. Like, being alone with herself, kind of, with nothing to do. It's idle hands. Um, She goes uh, out, ostensibly, to audition for a play. She bails on that before it's her turn. And she goes and finds Miles. And he says, how are things? She pats her stomach and says, flat. And they get a good good smile out of that. Wow. <laughs> right? Nineteen sixty five. That was pretty hardcore. I was I was amazed. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what preceded this, but there was not much in the way from that moment to then them having sex. And mm-hmm. Craig, if forty years from now someone asked me, you know, you've seen a lot of movies. Can you think of one that would be a good example of how not to shoot a sex scene? I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna go back to Darling. I think that will be on the list along with a few others. Mm-hmm. Do you want to describe it, or should we? Is that just too gross to describe? <laughs> no, I, I think you should definitely describe it in detail. I'll put some music on in the background. Okay, please do. The biggest thing is that you get these POV shots that are, uh, you know, it's more or less an extreme close-up looking straight in the camera. And I'm sure there's examples where that's pulled off very well, but it gives a sort of, like, ickiness to it to me. I don't know, because then it's just like, oh, this guy Miles, who I don't really like, who is now, you know, going to have sex with this woman who I thought was involved with this other guy, is, is looking straight at me, you know? <laughs> and, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, I'm sure it was intentionally supposed to feel somewhat uncomfortable, and it succeeded. But he looks at her, she looks at him, and then his head goes down the body, and oh, yeah. her eyes close. It's just very unflattering, and mm-hmm. it really made me cringe. <laughs> not going to lie. No, I, I agree. It was not... It was not attractive. No. Uh, man, I mean, I think the movie, like, it takes a very sharp sort of downturn into into a bit of, of weirdness and debauchery after this. I mean, Miles is, is clearly not the best of dudes. Uh, he hangs out with the swingers crowd to a degree. There, there's multiple scenes 
well, there's at least two where there's a group of people that get together and before you know it, like clothes just kind of start coming off. In one of the scenes, the earlier one, it appears as if Miles and his friends and Diana then are just kind of there together to watch these other two people have sex in front of them. Oh, yeah. I do tip my hat to this stuff. Like it felt original and it felt it wasn't done insignificantly, I guess. Like and it wasn't like it never came across as sexy or erotic. It always felt like this isn't a place I want to (laughs) be. Right. Well, it, yeah. it it felt like it felt like you're hanging out with your cutting edge art friends. Yeah. And this is the thing they're all into and you're just not. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not getting anything out of this. No, but instead of leaving, you sort of try to force yourself to be into it. And uh that makes it even right? more uncomfortable, I think, right? Yeah. That really just I mean, that's the end of her relationship with Robert. There's a very big argument they have. He calls her a whore at one point. Mm-hmm. She says she hates books, which I think was was obvious and pretty on the nose there. But a nice yeah. nice callback to the interview of the author um, when sure. talking about all his crap in his apartment and his books and his intelligence. She's shoplifting at one point with her new camera friend, Malcolm, played by Roland Curran. They're getting drunk. They're throwing oh, yeah. food into the goldfish bowl. Those poor, poor goldfish. <laughs> yeah. It's a very, like, boozy middle half of this movie, I think, you know? Or third, I guess. Yeah. It, it, I mean, that to me is like when she's with Miles and her friends, and then there's these swingers parties and weird things going on, and then she's hanging out with this photographer who I'm getting sort of homosexual vibes from. And then it's mm-hmm. later on, it's totally open that he is gay. And that I actually thought was handled really kind of, kind of well and, and kind of interestingly yeah. and not in any way like stereotype or degrading, but she's not anchored. Like, I don't know what the hell she's doing with her life whatsoever. Like, where does this lead? Right. Yeah. Enter a freaking Italian prince. Right. Didn't didn't see that coming. Yeah, it it took me a little while to figure out who he was. Yeah, because we meet him. There, she's she, she's shooting a commercial for I, chocolates. I love that commercial though. By the way, it was like the fairy tale chocolates. Oh, it was yeah. great. That was a nice sequence. Fairy tale chocolate. It was. It was. It was. It was a great sequence. And then he, while they're shooting, he walks on. And he's like, oh, you know, that side of the houses would be more dramatic or something and the director's like well it's a matter of the light yeah i took him as the person who owns the chocolates or something like the chocolate company yeah i thought he was going to be like the guy coming on and doing that and like right but yeah it turns out he's a prince in italy i don't know he seems like a just kind of a normal guy aside from being a prince i guess <laughs> If such yes, a thing is possible. Exactly. She's been hanging around in Italy after shooting this commercial and doesn't want to leave. And, you know, she's basically just drinking and sunbathing with her photographer friend who's, you know, sneaking off at night with uh, the the waiter that he met yeah. on their little scooter. At one point, the the prince just kind of rolls up in a boat and proposes to her. And she thinks about it but ultimately rejects his proposal. Mm-hmm. I don't know. How did that sit with, with you? Like in hindsight, I was like, oh, I'm kind of, kind of surprised she did that. <laughs> did that. Like, I that, was kind of surprised. Maybe, yeah. I, I kind of feel like maybe for her, like the idea of getting married is 
scary enough? I don't know. Yeah. Or or is it just better to have been proposed to by a prince than to actually marry the prince? Yeah. I don't know, but I, know? I did have like a thought like, oh, maybe she really is just like going to stay in Italy and like find herself. <laughs> yeah. You know, she's with a, a friend who's a male, but he's not sexually threatening to her. You know, there's nothing there that's going to happen that's going to be awful. And right. so maybe this is where she turns the corner. Instead, it's not. It's not long after that where I think she goes back to, to Europe. And Europe. She goes back to England and meets up with Miles again. There's a really gross, like, swingers party where they all sort of, like, couple off into different rooms. And at the mm-hmm. same time, you know, we find out that the the old author that she had gone uh, to see Robert interview with had, has died. And Robert shows up to tell her that at the door and, like, sees the other guy there. And, like, she just about loses it right. I mean, it, I don't know. Like, that whole sequence was just... That like, was brutal. Oh, yeah, it was awful. Well, and that's, that's you know, that's a good point, too. Like, that scene really stuck out to me. And it just felt like a moment where she's feeling real emotion that she can't deny. She's realizing how bad this is that, like, he's just a human being who is upset about the fact this guy died. Yeah. And she is not there for him. Like she's going to have to turn him away. And she knows that he just wants to talk to her so he can get a little bit of peace. Yeah. That it, that was uh, so well done. Not only like turn him away, but then t- turn him away and then have to turn around and face the fact that there's multiple couples having sex in your house. And yeah. Miles is like behind all of that. And like she's trying to kick them out and screaming at them. Then she goes to the funeral. She's there to see Robert. Like, that's what right. we think, right? And instead, she doesn't talk to Robert at all. She ends up talking to a reporter and lies about being close friends with the author and that, mm-hmm. oh, she's read and likes all of his books. And, you know, she hasn't read a damn thing, right? And nope. that, and <laughs> she's going to make a movie about of one of his books and be the lead in it. And just bullshit. I mean, just straight up bullshit. Like, why would she say that? It's just like, oh, my God. Like, she's she's not better at all. No. And then I don't remember if it was a hard cut or not, but our next big transition of plot point is she's getting married to the Italian prince. She changed her mind, accepted the proposal, and now she's married a princess, and he has, what, seven kids? Mm -hmm. So she's a stepmom to seven kids. you got to kind of acknowledge the sort of... I don't know if irony is the right word, but just the fact that here's a woman, a character called Princess Diana, who yeah. is not from that world and feels it ultimately feels very out of place in this world and alone, but has her sort of whirlwind tour of media and, and helping the sick and all these like photo ops and stuff. And it's just like, man, this is kind of eerie to like think about a little bit. It is. The overlap there. We We don't get much in the way of their marriage what that really looks like you know there's a the sort of like sequence of photo ops that they have and- yeah the newsreel is pretty funny just because it's it's presenting her exactly the way she would want to be presented absolutely yep that was pretty pretty great but then he has to go out of town he's gonna be gone for a couple of days and she's there mm-hmm. alone she's having dinner in this great hall by herself with this long table and there's like five dudes wait you know and the staff waiting on hand for every time she like so much as sits back so they can refill her drink and she's got no way to call her husband 
and she just starts losing it. And I lo- I really did like the sequence of how they shot that. I mean, I think it was just handheld, yeah. just like following her around this castle, basically this mansion, and like she's ripping things off the wall and taking her fancy fancy dress off. Does she just end up on the bed crying? I'm trying to remember how that sequence ended, but it, it was a nice sequence. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she. Yeah, she. She's. She's throwing the tantrum, and she ends up in front of a mirror. Like I thought that was interesting. So like she. She. She storms around, breaks all the stuff. Yeah. Walks up to a mirror, and then yeah, takes like takes like her slip off or whatever, and we get a little bun nudity. That's right. And then yeah, and then she falls in the bed and she's crying and and i assume too a part of this is her husband has gone to visit quote unquote his mother he cannot be contacted my thought was just that yeah she's figuring he is not faithful yeah you know i didn't even think about that just because (laughs) we don't know anything about this dude i mean like it seems like Mm -hmm. he's a bit older than her and like he's got a pretty good thing going on here (laughs) like yeah but i mean he doesn't seem like a dude who like oh yeah like i'm gonna sleep around but like i mean compared to like miles and some of his crowd like yeah he's not right nearly as sleazy but yeah you know what you're probably right that's probably what they were insinuating at least um in the film and so where does she go? She goes home. She puts on a giant, it wasn't giant, but it was like a bell-shaped fur-lined hat and jacket combo, yeah. which, uh, again, Academy Award-winning uh, wardrobe there. It, it did look really nice. It's nice, nice mm-hmm. clothes in this movie. And uh, she meets Robert at the airport. I thought it was interesting. Just, bef- just before she talks to Robert, she's in customs, Oh, right, and there's yeah. kind of a long bit where they're where the guy's like, "Do you have anything to declare? Anything to declare at all? Do you have any of this? Perfume, Do you have anything to declare?" And she's like, "No, I have nothing to declare." Yeah, just a just interesting uh, kind of way to put all that. Kind of, kind of true. Yeah, they go home. They have sex. She talks about, "Let's move to the country this time. I'm sick of London. Let's go away where there's not, you know, this crowd and this distraction. You can write. You can work. I'll be happy. Blah 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 blah." And uh, he picks up the phone and books her a ticket back to Italy. <laughs> and, oh, man, that was kind of cold, yeah. but, like, it just cuts her in half. Like, she just did not expect him to do that. And kind of, mm-hmm. again, shows her naivete. I think that, that they could just pick up their life and move forward after everything that he'd done, you know, that she had done to him. And so, yeah, the way the last of this movie plays out, I thought was kind of interesting and like the uh, a complete negative of that classic rom-com kind of sequence where, you know, you got to get to the airport before the girl, you know, takes off in the plane. Like here, he's driving her ass to the airport and sending, yeah. sending her away and putting her on the plane. And she's just beside herself. Like she, they're name calling in the car she's crying she threatens to kill herself opens the door <laughs> she tries yeah to. i was like oh holy shit that was a nice it was filmed really nicely i was like oh, yeah this is why it's a good thing that you got auto locks you know in cars these days yeah and uh he leaves her at the airport and you know there's some good dialogue in that sequence he, you know she says something about playing the largest part in his life and he says certainly the most dramatic which I was like, oh, yeah. burn, because that is, I mean, that is, that's her. That's, you know, yeah. darling Diana here. She gets out of the car, puts her sunglasses on, and is walking to the plane, 
there's a reporter there asking her what she's been doing, and she's like, I'm visiting my mother. Which, again, is probably, now that you know you brought up the fact that that was what the Italian prince was supposed to be doing, yeah, I'm sure he was off yeah. getting his bone going, uh, his Italian bone. Anyway. His royal bone. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to remember what else she told that guy, if there was anything of, of significance there before she does get on the plane. And he watches her get on there and turns his back on her. Man, that's a good question. No, nothing else stuck with me more than that, okay. than her lying yeah. about why she was there. And then curiously, the movie ends with the uh, proverbial fat lady singing. Indeed. Singing an Italian song, yeah. I believe in Piccadilly Circus. Yeah, I think so. But, uh, yeah. And uh, my mind did not have a translation of the words. Mine either. So I'm assuming that was enough importance there. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but, I mean, really, this is a great A character study. I mean, this movie, it really yeah. is Julie Christie's movie, and it is about her, like, more than anything else in this thing. Yeah. And about, like, her psychology and her relationship with herself and, like, with the world. And, again... I found it really interesting. I just <laughs> I just didn't enjoy the experience. Like it was just uncomfortable sure. to me to watch because of like how well it was done, I guess. Any sort of major takeaway on it, like who she is that we haven't mentioned and like I don't know, what do you see in the future for Diana at, at once she gets back to Italy? Well, that's the thing, you know, something I kept thinking about throughout the thing and I, I don't remember if they actually mentioned an age for her in it. But, like, Julie Christie was 25, so I'm just kind of going with that, like a mid-20s thing. And so a part of me hopes, you know, for the character, that this is a character study of somebody at 25 who is not looking inward to try and figure out why maybe things aren't working out in their life the way they want them to. Right. And instead is looking outward and saying, well, the reason that I am going to cheat on my husband is because he's so immature. Yep. And then the reason I'm going to cheat on the next guy is because he's just kind of boring now. And I'm going to cheat on the next guy, you know, like, yeah. and it's all their fault. It's like when she goes back to Robert at the end and she's like, let's move to the country, you know, like as if that's going to be the thing that fixes it. Yeah. Like, that's what we didn't do right. We didn't go to the country, you know, <laughs> where, where, of course, she'll just be bored and then oh she's going to want to go know. somewhere yeah. else. She wouldn't last. So it is. It's, yeah. it's kind of that. It's kind of that thing of somebody in their 20s, like, needing experience, maybe shouldn't even be thinking about being tied down at all yeah. in the first place, but um, just just wanting different experiences and, and not looking inward for, like, kind of what they really want. I feel like that's my, my big takeaway for it. What about you? I think that's spot on, and I think it's really interesting, too, because when I think of the swinging 60s in London... If you told me that, yeah, we're going to watch a movie about that, I would immediately think, oh, yeah, it's a movie that's, like, very pro <laughs> the era and, like, the removal yeah. of any sort of, like, sexual repression and, like, the openness of it. And this movie, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of curious if, if it really is this critical of, of the entire time as it feels like. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think in that sense, yeah, again, it, it's fascinating and there's a lot of interesting ideas. There's a lot of like unconventional stuff for a woman in a movie, in a leading role where she's literally in almost every single scene. And I think it's worth seeing for that. I would definitely say you 
put yourself in the right frame of mind going into it. I think listening to this and then watching it would absolutely help. I don't know entirely what I was expecting, but I think I was absolutely expecting something decidedly lighter than this. Yeah, me too. It's interesting because of that, but it didn't help my enjoyment factor. Um, you know, it was, it was not a light, fun ride here, but, but yeah, but pretty cool, pretty cool. Thematically, just a lot of... A lot of interesting comments on on youth and maturity and intimacy and emptiness and boredom and all and all that stuff that uh, we pretty much licked by the time we were twenty six, right, Craig? Oh man, yeah, dude. Seriously, had it all figured out. You know, I would have loved. I I really wish I had seen this in school. Yeah. Before, like in, in my early twenties, yeah, would have been and interesting. Just see, you know, like back then, was I like, yeah, what's wrong with all these guys? Mm-hmm. Like, geez. They definitely captured that that time. That's for sure. Any last things on Darling? Not for me. I think I uh, laid my thoughts out quite eloquently. Did you like the performances by the men in, in this movie? I liked them quite a bit. Yeah, I thought Dirk Bogard was pretty darn good as Robert Golden. I, I don't know that actor yeah. at all. No, I, I feel like he reminded me of um, like a young... Um, Perry Mason? A young Perry Mason. <laughs> Well, James I'm, Mason, yeah. James Mason, okay, yes. Yeah. Young James Mason yes. to an extent, but like... And Perry Mason. Yeah, but. no, I, I, you know, it, it's it's weird. I didn't... Those guys seem very recognizable, but I did not recognize them. So, yeah. They were all good, but Miles was so sleazy. It was in that sex scene. It was hard for me to get past that. Yeah. Now, did you or did you not say that Schlesinger was in this movie himself at some point? He was. He was the theater director. Oh, okay, yep. Okay. During the audition, yes, although I can't say that I was positive which of the people he was, because there were like three people sitting there. I think he was the one that was calling next. That could be. If I was a theater director, mm-hmm. I would have someone, I'd hire someone else to say next. Yeah, you would. Of course you that's would. Just, that's how I would do it. That's Darling. Go check it out. Filmstruck. See what you think. See if Julie Christie deserved that Oscar, because I don't know a lot of the other performances from that year, but I thought she was pretty damn impressive. Agreed. As were there those lovely outfits they were wearing. <laughs> I don't know, I guess. I don't know. I, I, to me, honestly, like the clothes didn't stand out that much. I don't know. They look nice, but whatever. That's true. That's, it's, it's tough to win a costume Oscar, I would assume, for a black and white movie. I'm just going to say, well, like after Color is already here. Yeah, and for a black and white movie where people are just kind of wearing modern clothes, right? Yeah. 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 Oh, but they did, so hats yeah. off to them. Craig? Any last words before we wrap up the month of Costober? I would like to point out, as our character Robert Gold pointed out in the movie, that all lies are true at the time. Uh, all lies are true at the time. Think about that. Whew. I'm going to be thinking yeah. on that all night long. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. We'll see you next time, folks. Thanks for listening. Have a good night.